When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web, which covers the Boston Celtics, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patronage. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading. And enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, January 31st, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Today's show is being brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com, TickIQ, and Linda. Got to do the TickIQ read today right off the bat, and you will know why. TIQ, IQ. Already has the cheapest tickets for all Boston sports. And now with their mobile app, you can save up to 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available. As well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, Fenway, and on the road. They aggregate all ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the TickIQ app and start saving today. That is TIQIQ. Use the promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. TickIQ has partnered with CLNS Radio, and we have been running ticket giveaways to Celtics home games at the TD Garden throughout these first few weeks of 2016. And these giveaways will run all the way through the entire regular season. As of now, we have games up for grabs through the month of February For a detailed list of all available games, as well as information on how to enter the contests, head on over to the Celtics Beat Facebook page. That is facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. All the information and the list of games are available. Now, today on this broadcast, as promised for many weeks here, not just on the show, that at CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. If you've been listening to the other broadcasts on this network, the Celtics Post Game Show, our social media pages, today, January 31st, we were to draw the winner of a pair of tickets, courtesy of Tick IQ, to see Paul Pierce return to the Garden on February 10th as the Los Angeles Clippers take on the home team, the Boston Celtics. So, here we go. The winner is... At David2CK. At David2CK. Go ahead, tweet at me at CLNS underscore LHR. That is at CLNS underscore LHR. And we will take it from there. Congratulations. Enjoy the Clippers game in not too long coming up here. But we will take this show from here. Let's get things rolling, shall we? Episode number 142 of Celtics Beat which today features Chris Forsberg of ESPN Boston. And for our pregame segment with tonight's game down in Orlando, we will get Jeff Turner, Magic Color commentator for Fox Sports Florida, to bang something out. Boston Celtics steamrolling the foes. Have they turned the corner? Have they turned the corner? Or is this just a hot stretch? Just like, say, at this time one month ago, they were in a cold funk. Either way, the Celtics... 
playing as well as they have in a condensed stretch of basketball as they have under Brad Stevens, although they did go 7-1 and one last April 2015. These last two weeks on this show, I've lamented that team, maybe longer than two weeks, I've lamented that this specific team has gotten a little stale. They were starting to play well at this time last week when I talked with Bob Ryan on last week's show. Great chat with Bob if you want to check it out. As it is with all of our shows, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and search and subscribe to Celtics Beat so you don't miss a show. Talk with Bob. First, it was almost like a psychology session. Like, hey, Bob, I'm bored. Talk me out of my boredom with this team. And they were playing well at the time, but it was still like I'm not there yet. Bob did not have to do that. The team did it themselves. As stated this time last week, the team was beginning to get back to some winning ways after a real bad two weeks of basketball. And it wasn't just that the team was losing games that was bothering me. It was, to sum this up, because this was a great week and it'd be nice to get some positivity back here on Celtics Beat, but it was really bothered then because of it looked as if things were beginning to plateau here in Boston. Even as they had a very nice record before that cold stretch, which started with that god-awful Lakers game in which 18,000 knuckleheads decided to cheer Kobe. A lot of things were plateauing here in Boston. And a few months into the season, I was getting a little frustrated seeing the team do the same things they had been doing in November, or even the bad things that they were doing at the end of the year last year when they were still playing well. Things were going beginning to go well. About eight days ago now, nine days ago, I've talked about a lot about how Avery Bradley seeming was the only guy who came back as an improved player. But now, now, now you can say, what is it, 48 games? Um, uh, let's see, a little, 27 and 21. Okay, there we go. 48 games. Pretty good guess there. After 48 games, we can now safely say that Kelly Olenek has taken the necessary steps to be the player that he is, to have that defined role as that Swiss Army knife big man. That's the phrase I've been using for him. Obviously, Brian Scalabrini talked about this on a show with us a few weeks ago. When, to be fair to Kelly, he was doing what he's doing now, shooting the ball very, very, very effectively. He's doing that now. Doing that then, but because he had a track record of putting together a game here or a stretch there and, and then disappearing for a bit. I remember his rookie season, he had that really big outburst at the end of the year in 2014. What was he put up 30 against Cleveland late in the year? And then the next year, everyone thought he'd break out a little bit, and it was... So it was almost a fear of just not giving the, him the benefit of the doubt. And it was a fear of a been-there-done-that type of thing. But this... This is more than just a sample size. He's really putting together his unique and valuable skills for a big guy. So now, Bradley, Olenek, Crowder, Crowder, duh. I know there was a lot of racket over this past week of, I mean, not just trade discussion, just stupid nonsense that the lemmings go ahead and devour, you know, passively aggressive, whatever, or keep an eye on this guy, keep an eye on that guy. I can go on all day about that, just just saying nothing, which, as we know, is the American way, by the way, say absolutely nothing. It was funny. I was reading a recap on FoxNews.com for the debate uh, back on Wednesday, and all the quotes in the story were like, we just need to get America back on its feet. Like, just crap. Anyways, and that's what this stuff is, crap. So much of the trade discussion now has become speculation. It's not even reporting on actual conversation teams or league execs are having anymore. Really, really stupid. But this, I will say this. Talking about this, I think, is just sort of sums up how far Jay Crowder has come over the past year, the past 13 months, when he was acquired as a throw-in in that Rondo, Rajon Rondo trade. The fact that you can even have Jay Crowder's name even discussed in the same sentence as Kevin Love. We're talking about players getting better. I think you can safely say Jay Crowder has made a name for itself on the defensive end if you can even entertain a thought or a conversation like that. So, yes, that is my example of, of the, to just really sum up Jay Crowder before I go on about Jay Crowder for 10 minutes of what he's done. I think you can just use that as an example, as proof of where he is, not just in the minds of with us, how Celtics and this brass looks at him, but now the rest of the league. So, yes, there seems to be a core here now, a core group of players, not a championship core, but just players that I believe have certainly etched out an identity with themselves and an identity for this team. It's not just one or two guys that are a part of the identity of this team. And I will say, call it, let's call it Turner Thomas. And by the way, congrats on the all-star appearance, by the way, first time you mentioned it on this week's show. So Turner off the bench, just Turner Thomas, Olenek, 
Crowder, Bradley, and I think if you want to sm- throw Smart in there just for what he does defensively and what we think he's going to do, knock yourself out, go ahead. Championship core, of course not. I'm not going to get into this nonsense. But just, I don't know, a group. <laughs> I think we can just sort of identify now this Celtics team with those guys. There are a group of guys doing what they do now on most nights as opposed to what we saw earlier in the year or even going back to last year when they were starting to turn things around where you had Thomas usually have his game and if he had a bad offensive performance, the Celtics were Scott Rude. Thomas, Bradley to an extent, Crowder would D up, but sometimes he'd get a little three happy and then you'd have like another guy, he'd make a big pitch, be it Turner or whatever, or Sullinger would have his game. And that was the formula to that 19-13 and 13 start. We were heading into the Lakers game. We all thought the team was going to go on a run. But it was still a little iffy around then because that was when there was no rotation. There was nothing really going on. But now it's Turner and Olenek leading the bench efforts. Thomas, blah, 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 down the line. And that D being there night in and night out, that's triggering everything. Not just the winning streak, but at least 110 points per game in the last, I believe, 10 games, all but two. So cliche phrase of the week. Hit the panic button, no. As I said, have they turned the corner in the opening? Chris Forsberg, ESPN Boston, please step right up. Chris's reappearance on Solid Speed is brought to you by lynda.com. That is L-Y-N-D-A.com. And that is the online learning platform with over 3,000 video tutorials given by the experts used by millions of people around the world. All of their self-help courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the site every week. Claim a free trial membership to lynda.com today by going to www.lynda.com slash CLNS. But Chris, yes, of all people who have always been waiting for this Celtics team to burst out throughout the year, point differential, everything, is this now? Is the time now? Have they turned the corner? Have they turned the corner? (laughs) I think they might have. And, you know, it's funny because uh, when they got to what? I think three or four in a row, I uh, I went back and uh, put out the, the BPI projections, which is it said it was going to win like 15 of their next 17. And I did the same 28 thing. 28 to 32 before the Lakers game. Well, then, so that was the problem. Like, I, 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 I made the mistake of, of, of making note after they won, I think, four in a row in late December. I said, you know what? I don't want to get anyone too excited. But there is a chance here they're going to take off, and they got they got they're projected to win 28 of their next 32, and I think they promptly lost like five of their next seven. So you know sometimes you roll the dice and it comes up good for you, sometimes it comes up bad. And so when they won four in a row again this month, I kind of jokingly made note of it that hey they're favored in 15 of their next 17, and I figured uh, you know if, if if the team went on a, a spin that people would be showing up with their angry torches at my doorstep. But luckily, they've uh, they've won a couple more in a row here. They're up to a season-high five in a row. Maybe, just maybe, they've uh, they've figured it out, and, and, and we'll see if they can take it out from here. Well, there were no torches at your door because I think almost all of us at that time thought that they were ready to go on that run and, quote-unquote, turn the corner. Because, <laughs> you know, all year, even before the, before the season, in, in November, they remember reading so many Sean Grandy tweets where they had the great – point differential, a great uh, victory margin or whatnot. And mm-hmm. you you kept saying to yourself, like, this team does seem to be a little bit better than what they should be. And when they were playing as they were in December, at least team-wise, you just sort of identified that point of the schedule as, oh, I mean, these I, I know this team doesn't play well against bad teams, but these Nets at home, layup, Lakers at home, layup, uh, Knicks, layup, and they – we're not layups by any stretch of the imagine, but imagination, excuse me. But I remember at that time, the Celtics, I believe, were like 19 and 13 going into that Lakers game. Is that it? 19 and 13? Yeah, I think so. And I remember saying to myself, like, how how are they? I mean, how are they doing? How are they at 19 and 13? That was when they still had really no rotation whatsoever to speak of. The only guy that was really playing, okay, Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, we take him for granted at this point now. Is as bizarre right. as that is. But the only guy that was playing really well on a night-in-and-night-out basis was Bradley. And then you had Crowder doing his, his other things. But I was sort of saying, like, geez, how are they playing as well as they did? And I guess law of averages sort of even things out. But yeah. now over the past two weeks, I think, as I mentioned in the opening, we, I didn't really want to give Kelly Olynyk the benefit of the doubt early in the season because you see a good game from Kelly Olynyk here and there, and you thought that that transpired in more good games. But now I think you're really seeing a lot of players really etch themselves out in the league. They're not all-stars. 
as we now know Isaiah Thomas is. But these are now very good players in Crowder, Olenek, Bradley, and then you have the other guys. So I think now it is, I look at that, now I do think that they do have some identifiable traits of them. And by the way, I am just rambling on here. <laughs> no, but I think... I'm, I'm so used to doing this all by myself and having someone else here with me. So I, you I got to roll. I think you're spot on, though. I, I don't think you... I, I, I want to disagree with some point of what you're saying, but I can't because I think when I look at this team over, over the past 10 games, just like you said, they, they sort of figured out the rotation. It took a while, whether that was health, whether that was Brad's uh, bizarre obsession with playing David Lee, whether it was you know just kind of trying to get the balance between getting young guys minutes and playing the best players on your team, and Brad struggled with that too. You know that those are the, I, I don't hold that against him too much. I mean, I think there's a large section of his fan base that would like to see guys like RJ and Terry get minutes so that they advance quicker. I think you're uh, one of those guys, right? Uh, you know, your I, alter, I'm, your fan alter ego. There's Chris Forsberg, the little dude yeah. there that the game. But there's also that fan alter ego that go, calls on the talk radio I pre- station. I prefer they be in Maine. I honestly do. I think it's much more beneficial for them. But what the, the the trouble is, you have to embrace it. Like Jordan Mickey has embraced the D League. He understands there is no clear path to playing time for him, and so it's better for him to go up there and try as best he can to be a dominant player in the D-League, which he's not. You know, he's still – he's putting up great numbers, and, you know, it's not like he's going up there and just totally dismantling the, the D-League, but he's playing well, and he's getting confidence, and he's, he's developing the skills they want him to develop. He's learning the system such that when it, an, an NBA opportunity presents itself, he'll be more positioned to take advantage of it. Now, I, I, I understand the balance. Like, you throw these guys into the fire, they're more likely to, to kind of learn quicker, but – I'd rather see RJ figure out a shooting stroke in Maine than in three-minute bursts in Boston. Uh, I think that's good for them. And But that plays into why the Celtics are playing well now because the rotation they have is all guys that are proven, established guys. They've, they've figured out how to balance, how to get Kelly and Jonas on the floor together, how to get Marcus and Evan together, and that bench unit has really kind of taken off. And that's what they needed because when they moved Isaiah to the starting unit, they got an offensive jolt. The defense was still good. And so your first unit was putting up good numbers. The bench was rolling in, and, and sort of it was hit or miss. Either they ha- when they were on, you were Turner seems to be the key guy there. By the way, I would say you know I I don't know who the, the, the it seems like every night it's someone different right now. I mean Kelly to me Kelly's is, is, yeah, is, Kelly's there every night, but you're right. But I mean in terms of if the bench plays well or not, because Kelly is there, it's almost it's bizarre as it is he's there every night. It seems like just yesterday where he put together that one good game <laughs> and then say this is the Kelly Olynyk breakout game. Or the next night, he, you know, he's invisible. But it seems that the whole bench seems to play well when Turner just plays basketball the way basketball should be played. Yeah, and, and there was a stretch there where he was bad. Like, I mean, he started the year. I thought he was really good, and then I think he went into a real funk, whether it was just missing the typical mid-range or turning the ball over. But the last 10 games, again, he sort of turned it around, and you're right. Like, he's so important to that group because he's one of the few guys that can drive to the basket that when they need to get a bucket and kind of break up those walls, he's able to do that. So when those shots aren't falling, uh, he's he's sort of the, the one they can lean on. But when those shots are falling, it just opens things up even more for him. And you started, you know, on, on Friday night against the Magic, he got Marcus and, and Evan attacking the basket while Kevin and, uh, Kelly and Jonas are – are hitting all those threes. I mean, it just looks like really good basketball. And you can just tell the, the, the Magic were a bit demoralized because they don't have the bench co- to, to compare with that. And, you know, they're in a losing streak. And when, when, when the opposing team is shooting like that, it just completely takes you out of it. So uh, the Celtics need that because they, like you said, there, there's not enough overall talent for them to just walk in and, and compete every single night with, with, with great teams. But they should at least give themselves a chance. And, and when they're playing this lesser competition, they've got to take advantage and they've got to, to stack these wins up because it's going to make them, it's going to be really important come, come April when, when they're trying to figure out the seating and, and just giving themselves a chance in the playoffs. That's actually been now as the team's been playing really well over the past 10 games. It's eight to 10, I believe. And of course we yep. know five in a row, but my gripe, one of the, my gripe, one of the gripes that I've had all year is, you know, people say things like, they need this A, B, C, and D to happen in a game because they don't have enough talent. One of my gripes, though, is that this team, for the longest time, I've said this on numerous shows, so I'm sure you've heard it, and I know it's going to sound <laughs> very repetitive to the audience, is that they are not very good at winning games with their C effort or with a B-minus effort. And, and you can say, oh, well, of course, not many teams are. But 
sometimes you should be able to win a game at home against a team that's 10 games under 500 with a C effort where you just make a couple plays down the stretch and win, mm-hmm. i.e. the Lakers game, i.e. the Nets game. You should win those games with a C effort and just ride your home crowd for a couple of minutes during a stretch and just pull something out. And... I don't know. I mean, do you think you've seen any progress there? Because even with the winning streak, because you really can't say that you have. They've been blowing teams out the past yeah. five games or so. But is that something that at least irks you the same way as it does me as a fan? Sure. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like racing through my head trying to think of a game where they've actually they done did, that. They haven't. You, you ready? I don't know if you listen to that show. Brian Scalabrini, I, I threw that at Brian. He told me um, that they have not won a game all year where they did not hold at least a 10-point lead in. And since uh, that, the only game that they have won was in Washington, Washington the game with John Wall. Right. So here Missed we are, it. the last day of January. They have one game all year where it's been sort of a back-and-forth fest. And that's not even clo- doing the whole A game, B game, B game, C game. Right, right. Just, the only one that jumps to mind is that Philly game in Boston where they went Oh, they opening rally, night, right? They, Oh, no, no, like, oh, no, after, oh, middle like, November. November. That's right. I do remember that. That was a bad game. They were down by, like, four going into the fourth quarter or something like that. And then they just... Yeah, and then they were down, like, 11 with, like, eight minutes to go or something like that. Yes, and they kind of just... They were just game. terrible that night. And they kind of grinded. But, again, I mean... Okay, so one game. But it's but it's Philly. And it was Philly before the Ish Smith era. So it's like, you know, it's, it, I've almost cautioned to, to put too much into that. But, no, absolutely. Like, I feel like... if and I, You probably heard me repeat this a hundred times, is the, the, the hallmark of this team in the second half of last season when they made their surge was an ability to win close games. They were terrible at it in the first half of last year. I think they were 10 and 18 in that clutch games, like the league defines plus minus five points in the last five minutes. And then they were, they weren't great at it in the second half of the year by any stretch. I think they were 10 and seven, but it was still better. And it was still enough that you felt confident that this team could take a team to the wire in a game they sort of had to have, and they would find a way to win. And I think that sort of gave them confidence uh, in that in that sequence, and let's face it, when you get to the playoffs, every single game is like that. No matter if you have a big lead or whatever, it's gonna it's gonna be a time when it gets to a, a crunch situation, and you got to be able to respond. So I agree. I think I think the the Celtics absolutely have to in the second half of the, of the year show they can win those games, show they can win those games against good teams. You know, they, like you said, it, it feels like there's a lot of these nights where. Uh, even if they're blowing out a team, they they sort of let up in the fourth quarter and they kind of make it close again. I feel like we we could have had a f- couple more Geno games at home lately, but they haven't. So you know they they've got to figure that out and they've got to figure out how to how to kind of keep that in in games where they were leading, keep the foot on the accelerator. And they've got to figure out how when they just don't have it, how do they find a way to win? And that's probably with their defense and turnovers and stuff like that. But uh, we need to see it. You sort of, when you took me back to last year saying they struggled with close games, all I can remember of was I was like, struggled? Chris, I know the stats at 10 and 17, but how many 20-point leads did that team blow at the beginning of last <laughs> year with Rondo and Jeff Green? I mean, they were up by 20 on, like, Chicago and uh, the opener as well. I don't know if the Milwaukee – that Milwaukee game was two years yeah. ago. That first game of Brad Stevens, but they blew so many 20-point games. And hey, at least they're not blowing 20-point games. Baby steps there at least. <laughs> Funny week, actually, because here we go. It is the last day of January, January 31st, 2016. Very nice day weather-wise. Got through another first half of the winter. Last year, that wasn't the case, really, where it really started snowing like crazy the day after the Super Bowl. Don't, don't mention snow. We're golfing. We're golfing. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm actually – I've removed golf from my mind because I just get way too much golf during the course of from the end of March until the after Thanksgiving. So I'm just happy, you know. Tag football weather. But <laughs> the trade deadline, here we go. You ready? Like, Woo! oh, boy. No, Send off the not, sirens. Well, it, it's it's taken on, like, further and further a life of its own where we actually don't even talk now about actual trade rumors. It's just – it's funny. <laughs> I, I had a, a – a, I made a remark in our Facebook group, and one of the <laughs> – because there's almost just so much talk now about possible trades – you can almost use the old Nazi Germany propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, Hitler thing, where it's say the lie enough so much that people will believe it. But if you talk so much about would you trade Jay Crowder for Kevin Love, fans then actually believe like that's like a deal. Like <laughs> they'll believe like that's a deal on the table. So like say right. three months down the line, if a seller's are on a four game winning streak, I got to shout out Rich Connie for this. He says. That's when all of a sudden the fans will bring up, damn, that stupid Danny Age for not pulling the trigger on the, on the Kevin Love trade or the DeMarcus. It was like there was no trade to begin with, guys. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and we've been through this. Like that, the, the hard part of what, what, what Doc called it silly season is the fact that so much of it is just speculation. And you just – if you, if you go back and look at now. what came to fruition versus like – you know, no one was – again, no one was talking about how the Celtics were going to go get Isaiah Thomas and Jonas Jarebko and Gigi Tomei at the deadline. Like, or the Perkins just, trade. Yeah. That, like, remember I mean, that 303? Like what the hell just happened there? Right, right. Well, I mean, listen. I think Kevin Garnett's still sad about that one. That was uh, that was about as surprising as it got. But um, you know, these things just—I mean, I'm sure there's talk, and but these superstar for superstar, passively and, and aggressive. The, it, it's 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 well, just it's just quietly it, aggressive. It, <laughs> like what? Like what? <laughs> it's amazing how just these little blurbs now in someone's column can just get picked up and it just becomes front page material because that is that is what sells to the I don't want to insult my audience, but that is what sells to the lemmings. Well, I think I think what it is, too, is that it's been so devoid. Like you think about last year, by the middle of January, they had made like nine trades. And uh, so the I Celtics, think there was just is. this. Yeah. It, so I think there minor was just this ones, ex- though. It was all right. But still, they, I mean, even oh, I, I can't Rivers say minor and, stuff. Excuse me. Uh, you know, uh, Rondo and Rondo, which, which and felt like a Green minor. And, you know, yeah. so I mean, there were, but deals there were a there lot were, of weird stuff in there that was like, oh, the Celtics made a trade, you know, like Austin Rivers. You're right. Thanks for right. Right. The Nate Robinson trade. Like, I mean, there there were some 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 weird ones in there. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe we, and you dial it back the year before and they traded Courtney Lee in December, I think it was or early January. And so I think people just had this expectation that Danny always gets his shopping done early. And so maybe we were a little surprised that we're here on the final day of January and they, you know, they're just, they're just kind of chilling. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, um, I, I believe them when they say that they're exploring everything that's out there, that I don't think the notion that they're quietly aggressive is far off. I think they're, uh, yeah, I was always under, pic- I was under the impression they were in a dark room just doing nothing, putting their thumbs. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder, you know, you know, uh, so I, I, there's a lot of uh, college scouting going on this time of year. I don't think there's necessarily like this idea that they're in the war bunker every day, calling every team in the league. It's these things. These things take time, and they bubble up closer to the devil. I think the other thing that's that's worked against Boston in terms of like exploring stuff is the the league is completely log jammed, and so you brutal. got teams. In the, it is. It's brutal. It, like you got teams in the East where like the Hawks are in the middle of the pack, and they're thinking, and we keep hearing how they're thinking about blowing it up. You got teams like Orlando who come in last night, and I'm thinking, why aren't they just tanking and getting another young guy and really setting themselves up? They're like but, seven back in the lost column of the three seed, as just and, six and, back. And, and, and that's every bizarre. team thinks every team. That's the really, and I've brought this up so many times, and that's sort of my theory as to why things are quote unquote slow. Now we don't know if they're slow too, because remember last year it was also very quiet this time of year from, from a league standpoint, right. and there were a lot of trades on the deadline last year. But every team now, I don't know if you want to say thanks to the new CBA, it's now a league of above average mediocrity. Every team from the three seed on down, which I believe is Chicago or Atlanta, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is off the top yeah. of my head, is something like just six games ahead in the loss column of Orlando, who's like 13th in the East. But Orlando's thinking to themselves like, hey, we're one or two guys away. Like, right. We're like a break away now. We're as opposed to, you know – Six, seven years ago, there were 10 to 15 teams in the league that thought they just had no chance. And I think Orlando's a good a good example here. They're, and maybe the Celtics, what they did last year, kind of resonates with a team like the Magic who say, you know, okay, what do we, we're kind of on the cusp. We've got lots of young guys that can potentially, when they play to their abilities, when they're healthy. I mean, we saw it when Celtics went down there in November. They could absolutely smash because the, the Magic have, have athletic guys. They have size. Like, they can be a decent team. Now, they're not playing with any sort of confidence or any sort of, you know, continuity right now. But I think that if you're Rob Hennigan and you're sitting there, you're thinking, all right, if we go get a veteran, if we get, you know, one or two guys, like you said, at the deadline that all of a sudden in, in this muddy East, maybe we're something. And maybe some of these teams in the East decide to go the other way. And so all of a sudden you, sh- you shimmy up and you're the magic. And all of a sudden you're gaining a little confidence from just getting into the playoffs. And, and maybe that bodes well moving into next season. I mean, that that was the Celtics model. And, and I think they showed that, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, you got to got to hit rock bottom. got to get those draft picks. That, sure that's, that, that argument is very 2003. Right. I mean, Very and I, and I, you can certainly make the case that the Celtics would have much desired a lower pick 
in the in the draft. They showed that by their desire to go get Justice Winslow and, and trying to, to trade for him. But you know what? I, I I still think that it was a positive experience getting to them to the playoffs. I do and too. now you're seeing in a situation where you know this year you're not just complacent to get to the playoffs. Like you know they, they keep they, they they don't tip their can and say like what their goals are. But clearly, it's to get to the playoffs and actually do something this year. And that might, hey, that might mean winning a couple of games and playing a competitive series. It might be getting to the second round. I, I don't know exactly what that's going to be because we don't know what this team's going to look like when they get there and where they're going to be seated and all that. But instead of just being happy to be there, they're going to—it's a step. And so I just think that's an, that's an encouraging sign for this team. And uh, you know, hopefully, it, it puts them on a path to to being a contender more. You know, that, that these guys will be ready to be a legitimate contender when they get the talent to do so. Yeah, last year was weird. I was actually with you. If you listen to my shows from last year, I was totally on that bandwagon of win, try again into the postseason. Yeah, when I was talking to some of the owners of the team, one of the 500 that they do have that have like 0.05% of the team, but they do have a very, they have a vesting interest in the team. They're connected far more than me and you are. I don't know about you. I don't want to insult you, but I like to think they're a little connected. And... I would bring up with them point blank. I would just say, yeah, the last year was great, huh? And they would actually say, no, we messed up. We should have got a lottery pick. And I was like, really? And then even Steve Bullpett comes out and says the same thing over the summer, I believe, where Danny Ainge was, quote, unquote, not happy about making the playoffs. But I'm sort of with you. I mean, it's I know they like Justice Winslow, but I'd actually – it's it, listen, if Justice Winslow comes in as, as a star, I guess it's sort of like, all right, okay, fine, you win. But I thought that experience last year was very good because – I thought it, raising the expectations was very good going into this season. I think it's an accomplishment in itself matching the expectations because I thought the expectations were pretty high coming into the year with all that, you know, 50 win, four, I mean, I didn't, and that wasn't even fan expectations. That was computer algorithms. Or right, right. But, but I hey, think it's an, it's, a, it's an accomplishment in itself now to actually win with that pressure on them. Last year, I thought they caught a lot of teams off guard in the second half of the year where they had they played a lot of teams that were, I don't want to say tanking, but they were sort of mailing their checks in, mailing it in. And then a lot of the good teams that they did beat, say, a Memphis, when they beat Memphis and Atlanta, they, they won some of their games. I thought they caught those teams off guard a little bit in the way they won those games. Now this year, every team actually knows what the sellers can do. They at least respect them as a, an opponent, and they've... They're playing a little bit technically, or at least wins and loss-wise. They're playing better. I, I agree with you. I think that's a ne- necessary step in this type of progress for a franchise. Yeah, and, and like, listen, like, let's say they get to the playoffs and they're, they're a top-four seed in the East. And so you get a home court advantage in the first round. Does anyone at the bottom of the East, you know, depending on how it all shakes out, Get some anyone, playoff you know, tickets. A, yeah, like, I mean, it's going to be fun. You get to play a bunch of top-40 music at games. I mean, it's... <laughs> Maybe we'll get Gino to dance one night. I, I mean, I think I, I just think it's it, it's good for the franchise to see that and to to develop that 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 winning kind of desire and culture and all that. I buy I buy into that because I think that's important. I think you know you you got to give people reasons to 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 know that this is on the right path. Like everyone, we keep, I mean, I don't want to labor on Philly because it's it's a unique, more extreme they're, situation. They're a punching bag though. They're, right, they're but, a great example but, for anything you want what, to prove in life. What free agent wants to go there now? You know, you hear about like even the the in the draft, we we hear about the guys they don't want their Poor, guys. Yeah, to with Porzingis was just yeah. I, I, people, I, it's it's amazing how there are portions of NBA fans who just don't consider that. Like we hear that if people don't want. Could you imagine actually? Even I think I was talking about it on my unfiltered show. It's like I'd rather it, it, the examples. That you could use. It's like I'd rather die in an abandoned building alone than go cover the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> and I don't think fans sort of realize that about with players as well. It's like, God almighty, get me the hell away from Philadelphia. And people yeah. forget that was Boston in 2007. People forget that. They just do not remember when Sean Marion said, I'm not going to Boston. They do not remember when Jermaine O'Neal said, I'm not going to Boston. They do not remember when Richard Jefferson said, I'm not going to Boston. People, people, people just think like, you know – that oh we have caps they that said team has cap space right, they can right. go sign a free agent it's like there's not a chance in hell anyone of relevance is going to consider a situation like that yeah and now you got you got the you got the winning attitude you got you're headed in the right direction I know everybody's got cap space but the Celtics have the ability to manage it well and they have the cap star. space and now they're respected I mean I'm I'm not saying. I, I, I we haven't even mentioned I Brad keep, Stevens like, I know I keep interrupting you because that's the fun part of the radio but. 
it's one thing to have cap space, but you need to have cap space and then have an appealing destination. Right. So, and so I think I just I just think it's it's it, in, in the grand in the big picture of things. I know we we get caught up on the the day to day and we'll overreact to a five game winning streak. No, we we'll never do so. No fans, no. They <laughs> sit like, back. They critique. If you step league. back, if you step back and you look at this this team in relation to the rest of the league, and I, I don't know how it's all going to play itself out, and I don't know if they're going to be able to hook that big fish or how that will will actually happen. I just think you have to put yourself in position to do that. And when I look at some of the other teams in the league, and I look at the way Philadelphia is trying to do it, and I'd say. I have no idea how they're going to hook a big fish because no big fish is going to want to even go swim anywhere near that pond until their young guys develop and show that they're on a path. And the Celtics have already done that, and they've got a coach that, that people want to play for all of a sudden. And I just think you know, sometimes when, when, when you're sitting there frustrated that they can't close out a game, maybe you sit there and say, well, you know, we're still getting the Nets pick. And they're, they're, there's reasons to be optimistic even when, when things are bad. And it even makes the players on your team or my team. Yeah, right. They have $2,400 invested in a season tickets than my team. <laughs> but even looks makes the players on the Celtics look better amongst those in the rest of the league if you're there in trades. I used the example this week. Now, I'm pretty sure – I'm not sure if this is you know what it is what it is. But the fact that Jay Crowder is even discussed – in a would you trade Jay Crowder for Kevin Love? I don't even if it's legitimate or not. The fact that that's even that train of thought is even thought of that you can actually have that at a table. That I think is, is such an accomplishment in itself. This was a guy who was a freaking throwing, by the way, in a trade 13 months ago, and now <laughs> the fact that you can even hold a discussion, a reasonable discussion, be it against amongst two fans, a fan and a media member, two media members, executives, whatever. The fact that you can even hold a discussion speaks to with the way the Celtics have done things over the last 12 months. That's a victory in itself. Yeah, it, it, I do love those those conversations too. Like, I, I mean, I can remember you go dial it back to when, when fans were you know adamant they wouldn't trade Rondo for Chris Paul or, you know, there, there's, all, there's no shortage of examples of, Irrational love. Oh, how about uh, the the best? Oh, the no, no, no. See, you mentioned Jordan, Jordan Mickey a little bit earlier in the interview, in the interview, and I was like, oh yeah, that Jordan Mickey guy. And I remember when the Celtics were playing bad, you saw the diehards of the diehards say like, oh, we got to get Jordan Mickey up here to fix everything. (laughs) And that's that is so Boston. That is if you remember, like Craig Hansen, the old Red Sox pitching prospect, is. You know, the, the Celtics, uh, the Celtics, the Red Sox bullpen was throwing arsonists out there. They couldn't hold the game for the life in the ninth inning. But fans would say, oh, that's okay because when Craig Hansen gets up here in September, that issue is good. <laughs> and it's like, no, stop just thinking these young dudes are just yeah. going to figure everything out. And Jordan Mickey, and then you sort of go back to trades and the way fans do grasp on to young players that they see or actually don't even see that this serve as the unknown. Red Sox fans are the best. Like Red Sox fans <laughs> are so petrified of trading the next Jeff Bagwell for some right, re- right. relief pitcher or whatever it is. But whatever it was. Yeah. It was. It was bad. It was bad. Larry Anderson. Uh, but they're so petrified of that like because the young player represents the unknown. And, and we and, and Doc Rivers used to say it all the time. Everyone loves the backup quarterback because you never see him, and he sits there, and, he, and you just you you find yourself tantalized by the possibility. And you know, you just say, "What if? What if he's the next big star? What if he's the next Tom Brady?" And you, so you'll always have that fear in your mind. But for you know, for my from the way I look at it, if 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 if, if I was a GM, uh, and and I'll throw this one on you. So I think we've talked about this before. But what what's your take on the on the Nets pick? You would not trade it. For what's out there, no. I mean, even if for like Gordon Hayward's, uh, Greg Monroe, I, I actually, if you want to get in this whole trade discussion thing, I've sort of been on that bandwagon. I look at Monroe in the exact same situation Isaiah Thomas was in last year, where Isaiah Thomas signed with a team. The team actually mm-hmm. regressed a little bit, and you got him for cheap. Monroe, same thing. Bucks are regressing a little bit. I don't want to say they're regressing. They have been atrocious since they made that terrible Michael Carter-Williams trade at the trade deadline (laughs) last year. Um, But Monroe is a guy I would love to explore if you could sort of poach him for cheap. But to go back to your question, Nets pick, I'd rather roll the dice with it. I like to think that you got, what, a 10 to 12% chance at Ben Simmons. You think Ben Simmons is going to change your franchise around. I'll take the 10 to 12% chance at Ben Simmons. I really would over Gordon Hayward, if that's even out there, let alone for all these, when they say, when someone poses the question to me of, would you trade the Nets pick for a superstar, you immediately have to throw it right back at them. There's no superstars on the market. So yeah. it's not and, a valid and, question. 
and, and, so and if you're a team that, the, sorry, and that's sorry, what I always go, go back to is like I, I get frustrated with the, the trade chatter because I sit there and I say, why in the world would Sacramento con- consider trading Demarcus Cousins? Like I know I understand all the pitfalls, but he's still ridiculously talented. And what are you trying to get if you trade Demarcus Cousins? You're trying to get Demarcus Cousins without maybe the 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 negative. And good luck, good luck to you finding that in the draft, you know, because it's again it's a crapshoot and you just never know. Um, but if a team is willing to trade you talent. For a draft pick, you know, I, I consider it more often than not because you're getting something that you know is tangible. And but you they're just not s- out there. And that's the problem. There's and no Charles is, Barkley we, trade out there. There's no – I mean I'm thinking of all the guys that have, have moved – been tra- guys that were moved midseason over there. I know Barkley was the big, big one in the mid-90s. But there there are none of those – I'm sorry, I'm going playing. Carmelo Anthony. There's not even like a Carmelo Anthony type right. out there. So you gotta, all you got to hope is that – if you're a Celtics fan, you stay patient. You maybe you, you get some luck in the draft with that. Maybe someone else becomes available over someone. You're more likely to make a trade like that. And maybe this year you settle for the Celtics trying to, to fill a need, a, an offensive big man, a wing scorer who can hit some threes, you know, and, and maybe you get lucky and it's another Isaiah type. And I don't know if even any of those will become available, but uh, you just trust, you know, but they got the picks. They've got the picks to go explore. So. Why not roll the dice if, and, you, if you think and, there's someone out there? And to wrap this up, too, if we're th- thinking about it from a fan standpoint and looking at it from their point of view, they're doing this while the team is watchable. And that matters in the NBA yeah. because the NBA, if you got a bad team, I'm sorry, and I hope I don't work, you know, hurt ESPN ratings, but ESPN doesn't you know, pick up bad teams. If you got a bad team, it is excruciating to watch. It's the pits. So, I mean, if you're doing this at least with a team that can amuse you in the time frame where you like to think that, you know, odds are eventually something's going to happen for the team. It's a good spot to be. And I go back to that. I just big picture. So there's a lot to be excited about in the, both the short term and the long term. Uh, it's still plenty of work to be done, plenty of, of tweaks that need to be done to get this team where you're you're back on ESPN more often and you're you're back contending. Uh, but it, it, you have the confidence that they're they're that need unlike those Sunday many teams. one o'clock games need more <laughs> the, of those. Uh, we need ABC. more. Of them. Well, we get one on thanks on uh, Super Bowl. Well, that's a, that's a tradition. One all year. I was infuriated about that. By the way, just in sense. <laughs> Take what you can get. Chris Forsberg, ESPN Boston, always stops by. Do a little quick chat, and a quick chat just turned into a half hour worth of the show. But Chris, <laughs> thanks so much for stopping by per usual again. I thank you for letting me ramble. No, we thank you, Chris. Again, that is Chris Forsberg of ESPN Boston. You can follow Chris on Twitter at ESPN Forsberg. Thank you for stopping by for what was supposed to be a brief chat. You know, I usually bring on Chris or our good friend Justin Poulin to sort of continue on what I have to say in the monologues for a brief few minutes before we get to our featured guest. And how rude of me. Just spent 30 with Chris. And now I've left it a little tight for our good friend Mr. Jeff Turner, former NBA veteran and Bangor's own, by the way, now providing color commentary for the Orlando Magic telecast on Fox Sports Florida. Our interview with Jeff is brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Is your New Year's resolution like those of many to lose the weight and get healthy? Well, you can't do that without a clean diet, and science has now spoken 100%. Grass-fed, certified organic beef is one of the most nutritional options out there. Let AmericanFarmersNetwork.com provide the staples to your path to effortless weight loss and optimal health with their array of pasture-raised and certified organic meat. AFN's animals are raised, cared for, ranched, and harvested on small family farms, not corporate-sponsored industrial factories. Do not listen to faux science regarding meat and stop consuming animals that were likely infested with antibiotics, growth hormones, and grain-fed diets. Humane lifestyles for the animal mean an even more healthy lifestyle for you. That is why AFN's animals ate right, so you could too. Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and begin or continue your journey to peak physical fitness today. Jeff, my man, welcome back into the show. Been about a year. Sorry for cutting this interview a little shorter than I think we want it to be, but but I did make sure not to spoil it too much by stealing your thunder as we head into tonight's matchup down in Orlando, and we will discuss that. And I think the easiest way to start it off most recent games these two teams played was against each other on Friday. Tell me what you saw in that game back on Friday night. Well, I saw a uh, Celtics team that was, uh, you know, very aggressive, particularly coming out of the uh, uh, end of the third quarter. Made a couple of big plays, and the Magic uh, could never 
get back in sync. You know, from the Orlando side, I thought, you know, we were in the game until that time, making some pretty good decisions, kept the turnovers low, uh, which is important against the Celtics, but uh, lost a little focus first two, three minutes of the fourth quarter, and then uh, Boston kind of ran away with it. If I had my sort of my own theory as to how that game went down, and as I've watched these Celtics games over the past really two weeks, as they've really sort of shifted into a different gear. I've seen them now do this to a lot of teams where it's been somewhat tight into the third quarter or middle of the third quarter, and then they've been able to pull away. And I'm just sort of theorizing that it's now, or at least I, I want to say this is the reason why, it's the pace that they're now playing at. And it seems like they have been wearing teams down. Do you think you saw that a little bit from the Magic on Friday where they wore a little down from the way the Celtics were playing at that speed they were? And then, you know, obviously the fourth quarter happened the way it did. Yeah, I, I think so. I felt like for uh, most of the game, the pace uh, wasn't uh, really where uh, Brad Stevens wanted it. Uh, you know, again, I think you know the Magic uh, going into that fourth quarter. I think it turned it over ten, eleven times, but they were uh, dead ball turnovers where the Celtics really weren't able to get out uh, and run off of steals. Uh, I think there were only like four steals at that point. Um, so I'm not sure that the the pace really wore the magic down. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is some, uh, you know, there is some merit to your theory uh, as I studied the Celtics going into that game uh, with the way they have been playing. Um, certainly the magic, you could say that they uh, lost focus there starting the fourth quarter, and that could have been from a little bit of a mental drain. But, um, you know, you know going in, that's what the Celtics want to do. They want to play at a very high uh, pace. They want to get up and really get into you, force turnovers, and get out and score easy baskets. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that was the case in that uh, situation, but I think that's what the Celtics want to do. Uh, you know, certainly you can hear Brad Stevens from my vantage point uh, encouraging his guys, "Let's go, let's go, let's go." So, uh, I think that's really what they want to do. No question. Was there anything so that you saw from an individual matchup standpoint that was exploited? I know the Celtics bench had a big game. They've, it's been sort of up and down with them all year. But was there anything that if you looked, say, in Friday's game, that you could say, just say this X and Y, could that happen again, obviously, tonight? Well, I, I think the big thing uh, when you when you play Boston is, you know, obviously the, the, from the matchup standpoint, you've got to keep Isaiah uh, Thomas out of the pain. He creates so many, so many problems. I thought we let him get going with some straight line drives where we didn't turn him a couple of times. I think that's huge. Um, you know, I thought, uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, it'd be, uh, in the first half, I thought that uh, Evan Turner came in and really went at whoever was guarding him. He did some good things in the post, particularly against uh, our uh, rookie Mario Hazonia. Uh, they really went to him. Um, and then from a bench standpoint, we've just got to have better production. Uh, you know, we, we allowed, you know, Kelly Olenek, uh, just really in that fourth quarter, just we let him get loose a couple of times on pick and rolls. He was rolling to the hoop, and then you know, obviously, you know, you know what he can do on the perimeter and, and shoot the basketball. So, from a matchup standpoint, I think you got to contain. Anytime you play the Celtics, you got to contain Thomas, uh, and then you can't let the you know the guys coming off the bench. You know, obviously, Marcus Smart hit three three pointers. That was huge for them. Uh, I mean, That's something you really can't count on, too, from him. I believe, no, yeah, he's shooting exactly. like, I believe he's shooting like 35%. That could be one of those things where you're at home, you have the home crowd behind you. Yeah. When you have the home crowd, those three-pointers, that just seems like the basket just is a little bit bigger at home. But, I mean, obviously I interrupted you, so feel free to continue what you're saying here. You know, a little no, more no, I, and you're absolutely right. That was kind of an outlier, you know, that uh, Marcus hitting, you know, three, three straight three-pointers and everything. So, um, you know, from the Magic standpoint, I think those are the big keys. You know, we've got to have better bench production. You can't let, you know, what did I think the Celtic bench ended up with 57 points in the game. That's just way too many. I do want to talk a little bit about the Magic coming up. I want to ask you one more question about the Celtics. It's actually sort of more so of a continuation on what you just said, because I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say here. I was going to ask you what you thought as someone as an outsider really impresses you about the Celtics. I know we, you're probably going to say something about Isaiah Thomas and his individual skill, but we sit here, our audience, as Celtic-centric people, and we talk about their defense, uh, the pace that they're playing at, some of the young players like Jay Crowder. Someone from the outside like yourself if you want to continue on of what impresses you about the Celtics team? 
I think I think you hit on it. I mean, there's a lot of good individuals, but I think defensively, um, I, I really I like I like the, uh, the the guard play defensively. Um, you know, you you look at the starters uh, with you know Thomas and Bradley uh, out there. When you go to the bench and you come in with a Marcus Smart and and, and Evan Turner, um, you're not really having a drop off. Uh, you know, I, I think. The way they have bought into Brad Stevens' scheme, uh, you know, they're in the right spot, and they continue the defensive pressure on opposing guards. It's that relentless approach. I love the way they bought in, uh, you know, to the whole concept that they are a defensive team first, and that's the way they're going to win games. Um, and, and I think the leadership that uh, Bradley and even Jay Crowder are giving them. Uh, from that standpoint, I think it's been impressive. And that's sort of actually what I've been talking about with the Celtics on this show over the course of the last whatever is you talk to so many former players, they say something like defense, particularly perimeter defense, is contagious. And I want to talk about that with, with the Magic because I remember talking, I believe, with you last year. I don't know if it was you or uh, De- Dennis Newman or one, one of you guys, one of our, our broadcasting friends that have been so good <laughs> to us on the show, but you're talking about the culture in Orlando, and every time I've spoken to you guys, by the way, the Magic have been doing, like, okay, and then they seem to slip a little bit. And it's the same thing sort of happened this year. They, they were off to a nice little start. They were, I believe, a few games over 500. And things have kind of come <laughs> – okay. And things have kind of come unglued over the past few weeks. They're on the eight-game losing streak. So, I mean, if you just want – tough, tough – not the best question, I guess, Jeff, to sort of ask yeah. you. Not the friendliest one, but I'll sort of let you have the floor here. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? We were we were nineteen and uh, thirteen uh, going into the months of January, uh, and I think we're one and eleven uh, since that time. I mean, it's just uh, hard to fathom uh, what's happened. But you know, this is a team that's had some close games, uh, playing close, and just can't close uh, at the end of games. There are stretches um, where we heard where that we before with young some, teams. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I think you know, it, you know, the premise of your question is it, starting with that perimeter defense, and I think you know we have the potential to be a very good defensive team. Scott Skiles said before uh, the game Friday night that um, you know, we, if you look at it, we're very similar to the Celtics. That when we're playing good defense and sharing the basketball, we're a good team, and we were doing that early in the season. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, we're, we're not doing that now. And I think a lot of that is, you know, over the last couple of years, the group that we have has experienced a lot of losing. Um, and I, I just, there's just not that um, veteran player that gets a lot of minutes that the major contributor to say, hey, guys, this, you know, we've got to get back to doing this. Um, you know, it's, I know I've been to practices. I know what they're working on. They spend a lot of time on this. Um, but at some point, the players have got to say, you know what? I'm tired of this. I can't, you know, we, we, we've got to get back to what we're doing. Uh, and we're not seeing that yet. I know that's very tenuous with a young team is that they have very short memories and it doesn't take long for some bad things to settle in. Because I, I tie it back. I remember when I brought up Dennis Newman and uh, you, our good friend, Mr. Steele who's also a good uh, supporter of this show. You tie it back to last year as well, where I believe Orlando, like as late as like the third week of December, I believe, were 500, maybe like a game below 500. It was certainly a marked improvement from two seasons ago where they only had won four games on the road all year. But they, once again, a little bit kind of came unglued then, just as it has came unglued now. Does it sort of worry you with young players where because they have such those short memories, it doesn't take long for things to really come undone the way they have? Yeah, and, and we're back in that situation where you can go either way. You know, I, I, was, I was talking uh, with you know, uh, David Steele uh, off camera uh, the other night and just kind of looking at the Celtics. And, and, and you look at it, you know, Avery Bradley was there in Boston, you know, even though he's, he, you know, he's been a Celtic, but he was there with Doc Rivers and that crew with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Uh, and right so he, he saw veteran players and their approach to the game. Jay Crowder comes, you know, came to you guys from Dallas where, you know, they've got a system. There were veteran players and their approach 
uh, and how they prepare and things like that. We don't really have those kind of players uh, on our roster right now. So um, we've got young guys that are kind of learning through experience. And, you know, the hope is they'll get there, um, but we don't really have those guys that kind of are, are contributing big minutes that can really get that energy started, you know, in a game where uh, here's how we're going to approach it. I think that's huge, uh, personally, uh, as a former player and everything. To have I was just ready to say, are you pining I was yeah. just ready to make the joke, Jeff. Are you ready? Are you pining for a spot in the Orlando Magic rotation? No, no. Member of the 1995 team. Guys, <laughs> how we did it. Yeah, well, you know, but we had, you know, the the thing that got us over the hoop, over the hump, excuse me, uh, in, in 95 was the addition, really, uh, you know, we added Horace Grant, who had been in a championship culture. Uh, and, we, you know, the, the way he approached practices and the game every day, that kind of stuff is contagious. You know, we had Brian Shaw, who had been in some good programs in Boston uh, and, you know, and, and things. So, I, you know, those, those are a big part, you know, to you look at the teams that are having a lot of success, they have pieces that are playing some veteran players um, that really understand what it really means to play in this league and uh, what you have to do every night. It's a grind, uh, especially, you know, coming down through January, leading up to the all-star break, everybody's gearing up now and each game is tough. So, um, you know, there are different approaches. You, you bring in veteran players and teach that way, or you can learn through experience. Unfortunately, young guys learning through experience sometimes develop some bad habits. And, you know, I, I think we're seeing a little bit of lack of focus right now, particularly in January for the Magic. January is the toughest time, I think, for any team in the, in the league to focus. It's just I, Even for me, as someone in the media, it's almost it gets a little stale now, so I can only imagine what it's like right. for a player. And I thought you did bring, you brought up a great historical example. Obviously, you were a part of that Orlando Magic team when the Magic did add Horace Grant and Brian Shaw, I believe, in the same summer, or Shaw might have been there the year before. But that Orlando team is as talented as it was. I'm pretty sure you were on that. That was the '94 team, the one that lost to Indiana in the first round. They were like yes. the, the two seed, like the one like you know fifty right. some games. But you, yep. they did, yeah. I mean, they they lost a the few close games to a veteran Indiana team. And of course, you mentioned the addition of Horace Grant that summer, and then the Magic went on and had a f- two more good years, obviously before Shaq. Uh, sorry to bring that up, but looking ahead, <laughs> looking ahead to tonight, we got here. Celtics actually have been in this situation before, not the first home and home they've had this year, but same deal they had with the Nets earlier in the year. They blew the doors off them on a Friday night. Then Brooklyn really came out of the gates hard on a Sunday evening. I know Orlando has not been playing their best basketball over the last month, but is maybe a blowout like the bliss or a fourth quarter domination. So that's sort of where a route is fresh in their minds and get those players refocused. Like you were sort of talking about there. Well, I hope so. I mean, obviously, you know, I know uh, team will practice, uh, the team practiced yesterday uh, and, you know, they went over a lot of things. So I, I'm guessing uh, that they looked at some film uh, of, you know, the mistakes they made where they, uh, you know, let Boston, you know, get, get control of the game really and, and uh, kind of blow things out. So, um, you know, it's, you know, these guys have some fight in them, then they need to come and really defend the home court. We've lost five straight at home as well, so we've got to get that one turned around. Yeah, this is one of those games, I think, too, before I get you right out of here, Jeff, where it's almost like you should be able to almost know what's going to happen. Rare is this the case in the NBA. It's a case a lot in the NFL, in football, but this, I believe, is one of those games tonight at 6 o'clock where – you should have a pretty rough idea of what's going to happen within the first six minutes of the game. Like you would, you would like to think Orlando is really going to come out and play pretty hard on their home court tonight. Well, you know, and yes, you're absolutely right. And I think that will be the case. Um, You know, one of the things that this team, uh, this magic team has struggled with, we've come out and played well early, not so much the other night uh, in Boston, but um, the games before in Milwaukee and Memphis come out played well early but just couldn't finish. So I think, you know, you need a good start, but you need, you know, I, I don't know that you're going to get, you get 48 minutes of total concentration in an NBA game, but I think you got to go 40, 42, where you're really uh, tuned in and staying on top of your game. That's an important game uh, for us tonight because, you know, we head out on the road and we're at San Antonio at Oklahoma city, the next two. So it'd be nice to kind of, 
give these guys, you know, hopefully some uh, some confidence. They need some success. Celtics down Orlando Magic tonight to face the Magic at 6 p.m. Jeff Turner, Orlando Magic color commentator for Fox Sports Florida. Jeff, thanks so much for stopping by once again. All right, thank you. Audience, Jeff's Twitter is at jturnermagic. Boston on a nice stretch at home here. Now on the road, let the Brooklyn home and home back in November serve as an example and hopefully a lesson for the Celtics. The Magic have already taken it to the Celts down in Orlando earlier this season. Now Boston one and one big on Friday. Got to expect that Magic team to come out of the gates with some serious intensity to return the favor and try to end their eight-game losing streak. And who knows, catch an overconfident Celtics team off guard the same way Brooklyn did a few months ago. I guess we'll see tonight at 6.05 Eastern Time. That'll do it for now and for this show. Number 142 in the bank. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock and Steph Legratteau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guests, Jeff Turner and Chris Forsberg, as well as our sponsors, Linda Tick IQ and American Farmers Network, for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Jalso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I am Larry A. Trussell. Back at it next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.